You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to Proverbs chapter 29, we come really to the end of this particular section of the Proverbs. Chapter 30 and 31 have different authors and represent various different types of collections of Proverbs. And so here we have our final chapter with a long listing of various and assorted Proverbs that sometimes have connection to each other and sometimes do not. So we start out in verse 1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Here in the proverb, it tells us that suddenly the stiff-necked person who resists reproof will be broken beyond healing. In other words, sharp catastrophe awaits the man who will not receive correction. Now, this is the Old Testament story of Israel in miniature, just one person who's often reproved. But as you follow out the story of Israel, so often in the Old Testament, you find a group of people whom God loved and whom God called, but who often resisted the revealed will of God. And oftentimes, there was catastrophe awaiting them as a result of stiffening their neck. Now, that catastrophe was quite often brought on by the love of God. He would not leave them alone. He would not leave them to their ways. But, of course, it is better to receive correction from God, to correct course and to submit to the Lord. Uh, Anyone who's ever been broken, as the proverb says, beyond healing, uh, knows that it is a painful experience. However, we should know that on this side of the cross, the gospel can go all the way into the elements that the Old Testament would have been would have said uh, were beyond healing. Uh, there is no such thing as being broken beyond healing uh, as long as we are alive and the Spirit of God comes in with the gospel message to restore and redeem us. Verse 2, when the righteous increase... The people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. Here the proverb tells us that public life is made better by the lives of the righteous. You know, some people love to distribute the idea that the morality of a leader is of no consequence to the people that they lead. But here the proverb, and especially the context in ancient Israel, as that when righteous people were in charge, the the people benefited, the the congregation, the nation benefited, the people rejoiced. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. When we allow the Lord to work in us, we become givers rather than takers, and we become healers of brokenness, not simply judgmental about brokenness. And so, when people like that are in authority 
and increase, the people rejoice. Verse 3, he who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Here is a classic comparison proverb. You have a glad father or squandered wealth. The father here is saddened by the squandered inheritance that has been brought on by someone who has become a son who has become a companion, a friend, a frequenter of prostitutes. You see, the reality is that godly living blesses not just you, but your entire family. Uh, Not only the generations who come after you, but the generations that come before you. The man in this proverb had a chance to bless the generation before him, his own father, by living a godly life, but hurt his father through squandering his wealth with a connection to sexual sin and prostitution. You see, godly living blesses the entire family, including our heavenly father. By justice, verse 4, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. A leader who exacts gifts, basically, is one who is always looking for offerings or contributions. That's what's happening here in this proverb. Uh, this king is always looking for a payoff, always looking for the the way in which any decision he makes is going to benefit him. And so he actually tears down the work of God. He tears down the land. But a king with justice He builds up the land. He's not looking for self-benefit. He's looking to benefit the people that he leads. Verse 5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. You know, the reality is that flattery does not help anything or anyone. And the idea of this proverb, or the question, I should say, of this proverb is, whose feet are snared in the net. You know, the the man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet is the statement, whose feet are caught in the net. Now, it's ambiguous the way that it's written, so it could be either. It could be that the speaker of the flattery is snared, or it could be that the one who receives the flattery is ensnared. But the reality is that flattery doesn't help either the one professing it or the one who receives it. Flattery is not helpful to you or to the one that you flatter. You know, when parents, for instance, flatter their children and speak dishonestly to them, telling them that they're talented, for example, in an area that they clearly are not, Uh, It is of no benefit to the child because they get put on a course of direction that someday is going to break their hearts. And secondly, the parents are, are not helped because they will be frustrated as they watch their child fail in an area that they are clearly not gifted in. You see, whether parenting or leading or pastoring, flattery is not helpful to the one speaking it or to the one receiving it. Verse 6, an evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. Uh, The emphasis here is on the freedom attached to righteous and clean living. 
The righteous person can sing and rejoice. These are evidences of a clear conscience. You know, without uh, a clear conscience, it's harder to sing. It's harder to rejoice. But the idea here is that in clean living, there is great joy. Verse 7, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Now, it's a mark of righteousness here to care about the cause of the poor and a mark of wickedness to be uncaring uh, regarding such knowledge. You know, those who like to push out knowledge about poverty and refuse to know the facts or the, the truth, that's a wicked endeavor. Uh, someone who is righteous, they know the rights of the poor. They, they care about that cause. They would like to help those who are impoverished. Now, in the New Testament church, of course, this became an emphasis. You might remember in Galatians chapter 2, when Paul had a confrontation with Peter and other apostles in Jerusalem, they were relieved to find that they had great agreement with one another and were allowing Paul to just do the ministry that the Lord had given him to do. But there was one thing. Paul said, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Galatians 2, verse 10. So even in that formative space in Paul's life and ministry, there was the desire amongst the early church leaders that Paul and others would remember the poor. And of course, how could we forget James 1, verse 27, which teaches us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It is a pity when a church becomes a place that the poor cannot frequent. It is good for a church to be understanding of and accepting of and embracing of those who are impoverished in this world. Verse 8, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. To set a city aflame is the work of the ungodly here in this proverb. And the way they do it is by stirring up sin and strife and anger. So that's what a scoffer does. They set a city on fire. But the wise, they know how to quench that fire. They know how to turn away wrath. Uh, we need more wise people who know how to diffuse an escalating situation. You know, I think about those who work in law enforcement, for instance, and the ability to, by the Spirit of Christ, know how to calm a person, how to turn away wrath, is a great asset in the law enforcement community. Verse 9, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. <laughs> you know, the idea here is that there are two emotional extremes that a fool will get into. If, you, if a wise man argues with a fool, what will the fool do? Well, on one extreme, he'll rage, and on the other extreme, he'll laugh, but there will not be quiet. That's the one outcome that you will not get. The fool is not seen in this proverb as reasonable, but because they continually follow their emotions exclusively, they only rage and laugh. So 
What's the warning of this proverb? Well, it seems to be, number one, to steer clear of fools. And number two, if you're engaged with one, realize the situation. And don't take it personally. And number three, if you're raging at everything or laughing at everything, and those are your extreme responses, then perhaps you are a fool. Verse 10, bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. Now, why would this be? Why would bloodthirsty men hate someone who's blameless and seek the life of the upright? Well, the blameless and upright uh, represent a life that is a rebuke to a bloodthirsty man. In other words, the righteous life stands as a constant reminder to the bloodthirsty that they are not living a righteous life. Uh, you might remember even the first murder back in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, Cain killed his brother Abel because Abel stood as a testimony of a righteous man. If you really think about it, Cain was so enraged that Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. Abel stood as a living rebuke to Cain for something that had been happening in his own heart. And so that's what's happening here in Proverbs 29, verse 10. In verse 11, it says, A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You know, we're often told to, in a safe place and safe uh, with safe people, to vent our feelings. But consider for a moment that this is actually foolish advice. You see, when you vent your spirit, it often turns into something uh, negative. You, you are actually cultivating a train of thought that can be dangerous. You see, it says here, a wise man quietly holds it back. Amos 5 verse 13 says, Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. And Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7, that we should humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt us, casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Verse 12, if a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. You know, a leader, or in this proverb, a ruler, is going to establish some type of culture around him. And if the culture he establishes is a lying culture, then he is going to establish a wicked, the proverb tells us, culture amongst all his officials. In other words, if he listens to falsehood, then he cannot expect those under his charge to be good people. No, the culture that the leader establishes will, in a sense, permeate the entire organization. Now, this is always true with evil cultures or negative philosophies. Those will always spread. Uh, the good culture or the righteous culture, sometimes you got to fight for it a little bit more than the negative one. The negative one will just run like wildfire, but a ruler who listens to the truth takes a little bit more work for that culture to spread. 
The poor man, verse 13, and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Now this is interesting because though the poor man has likely been made poor by this particular oppressor, that's what you have in this proverb, a poor man and an oppressor, it says that both of them need the Lord to give spiritual sight. That's fascinating. Here you have one who is innocent, it seems, and one who is evil, yet both need the Lord to show them the truth. You see, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, teaches us that we were, before we knew Christ, dead in trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience and following the passions of our flesh. We were merely followers before we came to Christ. The Lord has to give light to our eyes, whether we are the poor man or the oppressor. Everyone by birth is dead and trespasses and sins and needs the Lord to give illumination. Verse 14, if a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Here the proverb tells us that if a king faithfully judges the poor, then his leadership is strong in moral character. And in ancient Israel, at least, if a king had strong moral character, then his throne would last for a very long time. Now, here we can't help but see Jesus, the one whose throne truly will last forever, and the one who has the most righteous of all behavior and and heart. And so Jesus is the one whose throne really will last forever because of his internal and actual righteousness. Verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Here, we see the positive effect of discipline and its wisdom. The rod and reproof, what comes of them? Well, wisdom. You know, you want to have a child who's wise? Well, they need to be disciplined. The negative effect of a lack of discipline, according to this proverb, is shame. But a child left to himself, it says, brings shame to his mother. You see, we so often think of discipline as a negative experience, but it is very positive. God himself, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 tells us, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Verse 16, when the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Now, the way that we could receive this is as a promise regarding the completion of our sanctification. You see, when the wicked increase, that's one side of the coin, but the righteous, it says, will look upon their downfall. You know, just be confident. The Lord is going to work. The Lord is going to move. The Lord is going to, as wicked increases, he is also going to increase righteousness within 
your life. You see, those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8, verse 30. We have been predestined to see our sanctification come to a completion. Verse 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Now, all parents want rest and delight from their children. There's no parent who doesn't want that. But the pathway towards that rest and delight is often counterintuitive. You must discipline your children to get to that point. Uh, This is similar to the Christian life. Discipline leads to life. Verse 18 Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, in the New King James Version, it talks about just vision and doesn't mention that it's a prophetic vision. So many people have run with this as some kind of statement about leadership, that you have to have a vision statement in order to lead well. But the vision that's being spoken of here is prophetic revelation. Uh, It's not a vision statement, but the word of God. And what the proverb is saying is that without God's word, people will self-destruct, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Uh, Samuel was a young man who spoke the word of God, but before his time was the time of Eli, the priest, who allowed great wickedness to transpire under his leadership And it says in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, the result was that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So the word of God, very necessary. Uh, Otherwise, there is a casting off of restraint. People need the word of God to be able to grow. There's a blessing in keeping the law of God. Verse 19 By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. The idea here is that a servant will not be motivated to respond to mere words. Something else is necessary, something like the discipline offered to sons. So leaders, we must teach, but we must also train. Verse 20, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, hasty words are thoughtless or insensitive or rash words, big promises, overcommitted. The Proverbs rebuke this kind of thought or this kind of speech. Verse 21, whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir. Now, this is actually not meant to be received as a positive statement. Uh, The Holman Christian Standard Bible says it this way, a slave pampered from his youth will become arrogant later on. Or the message says it this way, if you let people treat you like a doormat, you'll be quite forgotten in the end. The idea here is that, look, you you can't pamper and, you know, let people walk all over you. And so, you know, be careful because if you have people that you're in charge of and you spoil them, that isn't necessarily a good thing. Verse 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much 
transgression. Here you have a volatile temperament, a man of wrath. He's given to anger. It says in James 3, verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Verse 23, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Uh, King Herod in the New Testament is a great example of this. You might remember that a moment came in his life where in Caesarea he began to receive the praise of the people, the voice of a God and not a man is what they chanted to him on that day after he'd killed James the apostle and in that moment, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not, Acts 12, 23, give God the glory. He did not give God the glory. The partner, verse 24, of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse but discloses nothing. In other words, uh, he is not going to disclose anything in, in uh, court. Some relationships ensnare and entrap so it can only be described as self-hate when a person engages in them. That's the idea. The partner of a thief hates his own life. Like, why would you partner with people like that? It's as if you are hating your own life. And perhaps you've seen this from people that you love or you've experienced this in, in your own decision-making, allowing people into your life or partnering with people in life that it really is a, a sense where you are self sabotaging to enter into life with them the fear of man lays a snare verse 25 but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe without the fear of man you can really do anything you will not be intimidated in the slightest the signs of the fear of man are basic insecurity not knowing who you are or where you fit extreme self-consciousness body image locked into yourself saying half of what you really think you only share the safe half but often the half not spoken is the most important part living for the approval of others constant need for affirmation or reassurance clinging on to positions that are yours using the phrase i could never and setting limits on yourself because you're afraid no these are things that indicate perhaps a fear of man but trusting the Lord whoever trusts in the Lord is safe what would you do without the fear of man verse 26 many seek the face of a ruler but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice true justice we learn from this proverb comes from the Lord not a ruler so often we fix our eyes on a politician upon a leader upon a legislator and we think they could be the ones to deliver us no it's from the Lord that a man gets justice an unjust man verse 27 is an abomination to the righteous but one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked it says in Psalm 101 verse 6 I will search for faithful people to be my companions only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me we must look for those who are unlike this proverb an unjust man an abomination to the righteous but look for those whose way is straight they are a blessing to life 
an abomination to the wicked. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.